Well, hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series today called A New Beginning. You know, it's the beginning of the year, at least it is when I'm recording this. And so uh, it's a natural time to talk about a fresh start, a new beginning, new year, do you, you know, New Year's resolutions, all that kind of stuff. And again, whether you're a person who is into the whole New Year's resolution thing or not, um, I, personally, I'm not really, but that's okay if you are. Uh, but it, it does provide a natural time to look and to kind of evaluate and say, all right, where have we been and where are we going? Uh, what does it look like to have a fresh start? What does it look like to have a new beginning? And honestly, a lot of times when we, we make these kind of changes, we start a new year, it's like, I, there's some things I want to change about my life, you know, about my circumstances. There's these external things that sometimes we focus on, and that's good, and that's fine, and that's wonderful. But in this series, I want to talk more about some of the deeper kind of things, some of the more internal kind of things, because the reality of, is, of it is this, is oftentimes we try to change things about our lives, things on the, the outside, the external things, but to see actual lasting, like real change in a real new beginning, it means there are some internal things that need to take place, that for things about my life to change, things about me <laughs> need to change. Uh, and so in this series, we're going to talk about some of those big ideas, some of those deeper kind of things, some of those like, here are the tools for how it really can be a new beginning and a fresh start. Here are the changes that maybe need to take place uh, in me as I look forward in this year. So the next couple of weeks, here's where we're going. We're going to talk about having a new heart. We're going to talk about having a, a new mind, a new focus, new friends, and a new vision. New heart, new mind, new focus, new friends, new vision. All of these things that kind of uh, revolve around more of the internal uh, sense of life and self and where what is flowing out of me. So it really can be a new beginning in all areas of life. We're going to start that conversation today by talking about having a new heart, having a new heart, uh, because everything flows out of our hearts, and I'm not talking about literally the organ that's pumping blood, although that's pretty important as well, but this idea of the kind of core self, the inner self, the, the heart, the thing that everything about us flows from, how do we have a new heart? And to do that, I want to look at a very famous account in scripture, um, it's known as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman, so that's where we're going to be today. If you want to turn there uh, in, in a Bible, go ahead and do that. It's found in John chapter 4. We're going to look at most of this chapter, uh, John chapter 4, most of this account. We're going to start around verse 7, go to about verse 30, so if you've got a Bible, you can follow along there, like a hard copy. You can pull it up on a device, or if you're watching on a desktop, you could even you know, open up another tab or, or whatever. Uh, they're going to be here on the screen as well. I'm not sure how well you're going to be able to see that. Hopefully you can. Um, but anyway, John chapter 4, woman at the well, that's where we're going. John is one of Jesus' disciples, um, one of his closest friends. He's an eyewitness to the, the life of Jesus, to his life, his death, his resurrection. Uh, and later in John's life, he writes an account of what he saw, what he experienced. Um, and in John chapter 4, he's giving us this uh, encounter that Jesus has, this really incredible encounter with a woman uh, at a well. Uh, and so John has told us where we're going to jump in, that, that Jesus and his disciples are traveling from the area of Judea to Galilee, and they're passing through the area of Samaria. It's about midday, it's about noon-ish, uh, and Jesus sits down at, at a well, um, and, and his disciples, they go into town to buy food. And as he's sitting there at this well, 
a woman comes up and a conversation ensues. And so we're going to start John chapter 4, verse 7, work our way to verse 30. uh, And then uh, at the end, we're going to kind of uh, draw some application out of this as it relates to having a new heart. And what does it look like to have a new heart? What do we need to have a new heart? So here we go. John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water because she's coming out to the well. Uh, That's where Jesus is sitting. Uh, And Jesus tells her, he says to her, give me a drink. Uh, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. We already covered that. And listen to her response to him. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, this is important, Jesus is Jewish, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. So she's the Samaritan woman, Jesus is a Jewish man, and, and I mean, picture the scene, she goes out to collect, to get water at this well. Uh, Chances are she goes out there every single day at the same time, and she's going out in the middle of the day, we're going to see why in a moment, but she goes out in the middle of the day when nobody would be at the well. It's the heat of the day, everybody else is probably gone in the morning, and today she goes out, and imagine her surprise when she sees this guy sitting there. Uh, And then she is just shocked when he talks to her. I mean, you have the dynamic of uh, he's a man, she's a woman in that time, in that culture. Uh, Men didn't really speak, men and women didn't speak to each other in public unless you were like family, unless you were part of the same household. Uh, And so it's kind of weird on that level. But more than that, she brings up this uh, this, um, generations-long hatred and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. That it went back for hundreds of years. You see, in the nation of Israel's history, uh, they went through some dark times. At one point, the nation divides into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Eventually, both parts of of the kingdom, uh, both parts uh, are carried into exile. First, the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians. Then the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians. And when the nation is taken into exile many of the people are carried off into foreign lands. Like they, they, they take the best and the brightest uh, off to Babylon to serve in the Babylonian government. This is where the, the account of, of like Daniel and his friends come in. That They're working, they're taken into Babylon, they're, they're serving the Babylonian king. But while some are taken into exile, many of the people are left to live in their homeland. But it's not just the Jewish people living there anymore. The Babylonians, these other foreign powers, they, they move other people into uh, the, 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 into the land of the Jews. And so there's this intermingling that happens. You have the Jewish people, then all these non-Jewish people, these pagan peoples, and some of the Jewish people intermarry with these pagan people. And they begin to uh, have, have children and have families with these non-Jewish people. And those children and those descendants are who become the Samaritans. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal to us, but to them at that time, that was a huge no-no. That was a big red flag. Now, the Jewish people were under what we call the Old Covenant. It's it's contained in what we call the Old Testament. But it's this uh, relationship, this arrangement that God makes with the nation of Israel. He says, you're my people, I'm your God, here's what it looks like. And part of that arrangement was they were to be holy. They were to be set apart. They were not supposed to become intermingled. They weren't supposed to marry and have children with these foreign nations because God knew that would lead them down a path of worshiping false gods and abandoning him. Uh, and so this particular group of people ignore that and, and they, they intermarry, they have kids, they become the Samaritans. And so in the eyes of the Jewish people, uh, these Samaritans are like, they're, they're what's wrong with the world. They're the reason that, that uh, things have gone poorly. They, they are a defilement. They're half-breeds. They're, um, they're abominations. They're unclean. They're, they're disgusting. They absolutely 
hate them. And it's a hatred that had gone on, again, for generations, for hundreds of years at the time of this encounter. Uh, and so everything that comes after this, this part of, of the account, everything that Jesus says, everything he does, the grace he shows, the love he shows, the, the conversation that ensues, everything is kind of informed by this um, this initial shock of, I can't believe this conversation is actually happening. I can't believe Jesus would be talking to this Samaritan woman. It, 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 it kind of, it takes it to a whole nother level, uh, just the sense of, are you kidding me? Like, even a Samaritan woman is invited to experience the goodness of Jesus in her life. Uh, and so she has this objection. She's like, what, what's going on here? Why are you talking to me? How is this happening? Jesus kind of brushes right past that uh, and gets into this conversation. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And so Jesus is like, okay, like there, there's a gift that I want to give you. There's this living water that I actually have the authority and the ability to give to you, but you're not even really, you don't even really know who it is that you're speaking to. Jesus is tapping into something, um, telling this woman about something that she doesn't even know that she wants or she needs, but he wants to give it to her. He's like, there's, there's something more. There's this living water. And she responds by saying, sir, you, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And so she's just thinking about physical water, right? This conversation is happening at this well. She went out there to get water. Jesus has asked for a drink of water. She's got a bucket. The well's there. And she's like, oh, we're talking about the water that's in this well. I don't know why he's calling it living water or whatever, but we're talking about physical water and dude, you don't have a bucket. This well is deep. How are you going to get it? So she's not tracking. And Jesus continues and says, listen, everyone who drinks from this water, right, the water in the well, they're going to get thirsty again. That's how getting a drink works. You know, we continue to get thirsty. We need water over and over. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. She's like, yeah, you know, you're going to get thirsty again, but I want to give you something. This living water that I'm giving you, that I'm offering to you, if, if, if you'll accept that, you'll be satisfied permanently. Like so much so that, that it becomes a well in you, that you're not just a reservoir of, of what I want to do in you. Like, the, like there's actually a source that becomes located within you, that there is a source, a well, a spring of this living water, and it is bubbling up. It is spilling over uh, to eternal life. The idea of eternal life, it's not simply, you know, it's not, it's not like a pie in the sky, oh, you go to the good place when you die kind of thing. It's uh, eternal life. In the words of Jesus later in, in the Gospel of John, he says eternal life, it's knowing the Father and Jesus whom he sent. He said eternal life is, is connection and it's relationship with, with God, with, with Jesus, with this triune, beautiful creator of the universe. He's like, that's eternal life. It's actually relationship with God. Uh, and, and later, you know, he talks about, I've come to give people life abundantly, life to the fullest, the life that is truly life. And so this picture that he's painting is, I want to give you something that will actually be a source of that in you. That it's not going to run out. You're not going to get thirsty again. It's going to spill out. It's going to flood your life. It's going to actually spill into the lives of the people around you. I want to give you living 
water. It's going to satisfy your deepest desires. And the woman, she's still not tracking. All right, she says, sir, give me this water. Sounds good. I don't want to get thirsty. So I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. And so she's like, okay, not getting thirsty sounds good. But then she's still not all the way there because she's still thinking about coming to the well that they're standing at to get regular water. And so Jesus offers living water. She's not tracking. And so now Jesus moves in a different direction with the conversation. He says, go call your husband and then come back here. Go get your husband, come back. And she responds by saying, I don't have a husband. Well, you've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. And so what you have said is true. <laughs> so I feel like Jesus is, is, is gently trying to, to get this, this lady to come to this kind of uh, um, confession or this conclusion. He's, he's gently trying to pull this out of her. Like He's like, look, I know what's going on. I know all about you. I know your story. I know your history. Um, and so he's like, go call your husband. And she's, and, you know, she could say, well, you know what? I don't have a husband. I've had five, and the guy I'm with now is not my husband. And she's like, well, technically, I don't have a husband. You know, you know that whole, like, um, you know, I'm not really lying. I'm just not telling you all of the truth. It's that kind of a situation. And so Jesus is like, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. You know, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And so now we get a little bit more of a picture of this woman's story. Not only is she a Samaritan, and so, like, the whole, the whole group of people she belongs to is seen as less than, but also in her individual life, in her personal life, she's got issues. She has a past. She has a story. Uh, and, and at that time and at, in that place, man, this, this reality would have made her um, just persona non grata, right? Like, you, you don't talk to her. You don't go around her. You avert your eyes when you see her. Everyone whispers about her. We can kind of infer from the passage that the reason she's going out to the well um, at noon in the heat of the day was because she didn't want to be around the other people of her community because they knew who she was and what her past was and what her story was. Again, so there's this beautiful picture being painted of Jesus speaking to this woman who culturally, who kind of uh, as, as, like, as her group identity is seen as less than, but even then individually in this idea of like personal issues as seen as like she's not worthy. And Jesus is saying, look, I want to give you living water. I don't care about your, the group you belong to. I don't care about what, what junk you have going on in your life. I want to give you living water. Now she kind of moves on, you know, from this, this topic of, of her husbands and not husbands and, uh, and her past. And she says, well, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, <laughs> duh. Or I mean, what else do you say at that point? Like, good call or you're right. I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, how did you know that? I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And so there, she's like, okay, I see you're a prophet. Can we, let, let's just get the, the conversation off of me for a minute. Let's change the subject. This is getting uncomfortable. You seem like you're a prophet. You seem really smart. So let's talk about God. Let's talk about theology. Let's talk about worship. The Samaritans, we worship here on this mountain, this area that we're located in. But you Jews say the only place for proper worship is at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds by saying, believe me, woman. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's like if the option is, uh, you know, you're giving me these options of A or B, mountain or Jerusalem, I'm saying that there's something new is happening that's going to be C. It's actually something even better. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is like, something is coming, scratch that. In fact, it's here. Something is happening right now. There's a shift. There's a change happening where it's not going to be about, you know, is it the temple? Is it the mountain? Like, like, let's throw that out the window. It's about spirit and truth. It's about spirit and truth. There's something that, that is happening where, where there, there, there's a spirit that takes place in worship, where, where there's a, a connection on a spiritual level that is required for worship. And also, there, there is truth out there. There are truth claims. And those two things coming together, worship in spirit, a spirit-level connection between us and God, and truth, the claims and the truth revealed in Jesus, like that is, is where worship is located. And the woman said to him, uh, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And so she's like, all right, let me just get out of this conversation as quick as possible, because I don't even know how to respond. I know that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah, the, the, the promised one. And she's like, when he gets here, he'll explain everything. And Jesus tells her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So he's like, you know what, you're right, the Messiah is coming, and he will explain all of this. But guess what? You're talking to him right now now. You're talking to him right now. And just then the disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? (laughs) I can just picture this scene as they get back from getting food and they're like, uh, you say something. I'm not saying something, you say something. And so nobody says anything. Uh, And then at that moment, the woman left her water jar and went into town and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. So she sets down the water jar, the very reason she was out there in the first place, because she's found something else. She's found something better. And she goes and tells the people of her town. And so there's a lot of different things that we could draw from this. There's a lot of different things that we can pull out. But there's three big things that I want to hit on as we think about having a new heart moving into the new year. What does it require that we see in this account. The first thing that we see is that a a new heart is going to require a listening heart, a heart that is listening, a heart that can hear, a heart that can see what's really going on. You see, this woman, she goes out looking for water. Jesus is offering her something else, something better, but she can't hear what he's saying. She can't really understand. She doesn't see it. She is so focused on what is right in front of her. I came to get water. Here's the well. Here's the bucket that she can't understand. She doesn't hear the offer for living water. And so often, that is where we find ourselves. It it isn't the fact that, like, it's not that Jesus isn't speaking. It's not that he's not calling. It's not that he's not trying to do things. It's that so often, we're not listening. Like, we, we can't hear what he's saying because we are focused on all the things that are right in front of us. And sometimes that focus is a matter of like, uh, it's just all the stuff that's got to get done. It's the busyness of life. It's kids and work and school and bills and family stuff and, and, and you know, everything. All the, the we've got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And it's the, the chaos and the craziness of life. And Jesus is speaking, but we're not hearing him because what's right in front of us is drowning out his voice. Just like what was right in front of her. Like she couldn't get her focus off of the water. What's right in front of me? What's obvious? 
and she couldn't hear what he was really saying. Sometimes we run into that with the busyness of life, with the chaos of life, with the, the day-to-day, I just got to get it done. You know, sometimes we, we, we don't hear Jesus, we're not really listening because we've already made up our minds on what he's saying. You know, we can be in church for so long or be a part of like faith for so long that we're just, we become cold, we, it becomes mundane to us, and so we don't actually hear him. Or we, maybe, maybe your story is you've had a, a bad church experience, you've had a, a, a bad taste of faith. I mean, man, I'm so sorry if that was you, if there was uh, stories of just abuse or uh, neglect or whatever it was uh, in your church experience. People just treated you poorly, or maybe it was intellectual dishonesty. It was just like, well, you just have faith, just believe these things. And, and so there's other things that you've heard about faith and about church and about Jesus that like that is so loud in your mind that you can't actually hear what Jesus is saying. And so if we want to have a new heart, if you, want to, if you want to say, you know what, I want to give this a shot, Let me, I, I want a new beginning, I want a new heart, it's going to require a heart that is listening, which means we're going to have to turn down the volume on some of the other things. It means we need to evaluate the last year and we need to look forward into the new year and say, in what ways, in what ways have I not been hearing uh, what Jesus is saying? What things have been drowning out the voice of of Jesus in my life? Is it the busyness of life? Can I turn, I need to turn that down for a little bit. Is it my, my past experience with church or faith and the bad experiences there? Maybe, how can I turn that down a little bit? Is it some, you know, negative voices in my life? Can I turn that down a little bit? Is it just the fact that I've grown cold or uh, faith has become so familiar? How do I turn that down in my life so I can crank up the voice of God in my life? A new heart requires a listening heart. The, the second thing that we can see in this passage is that a new heart is not only going to require a listening heart, but it's going to require a prioritized heart. It's one thing to hear Jesus. It's another thing to make him a priority. And not just a priority, but the top priority in life. Jesus kind of identifies an area in the woman's life where uh, priorities are, were out of whack, where things weren't quite as they should be. And he, he kind of pulls on this thread of, of her relationships. And hey, you've had five husbands. The guy you're with now isn't your husband. What's going on there? And we see there, there's this attempt to, uh, to try to find meaning and significance and validation and worth and, and happiness and fulfillment or whatever it was, trying to find that. And in her case, it was trying to find it in romantic relationships, in human intimacy, and, and, and then it was drowning out the, the voice of God. It was drowning out to being connected to him. And so the priorities were off. And sometimes we find ourselves there as well, where we get the priorities all out of whack and we do all these other things and put all these other things into our lives. And then we're like, if you're a person of faith, we're like, where, where can I fit God into that? Let me cram him in there. Let me fit him into there. But it just doesn't work that way. You know, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, like Jesus says, hey, seek first God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. Everything else will fall into place when your priorities are in order. That when we prioritize God, his kingdom, his ways in our life, life tends to go better. It's not easy and it's not perfect, but it goes better. That there's something that we say often and it's not original to us. We <laughs> ripped it off from North Point, but hey, we're going to borrow it because it's great material. They say, following Jesus will make your life better and it'll make you better at life. Like, that doesn't mean it'll make your life easier, but following Jesus will make your life better. That when I follow the ways of Jesus, it may not be easier, but it's better. That when I follow his ways, that what he says about 
relationships and, and possessions and money and sex and family and parenting and work and morals and all of these different spheres of life. When I follow the way of Jesus, it's not always easier, but life goes better. That there's a prioritization of God and his ways that needs to take place. And if you don't believe me, just do this thought experiment for a minute. And this doesn't matter if you believe in the whole Jesus thing or not. Just, just humor me, will you? We think about the worst, kind of your regrets or the pain points in your life. Um, and we all have them. And many times there are things that we've done. Sometimes there's things that have been done to us. But whatever it was, if it was, it was our thing that we did or somebody did something to us and there's pain and there was regret and there's shame and there's guilt and there's all these things we carry along with us. As I look at those things, ask the question, would, would that pain be there if in that, that situation I or the person who hurt me, if, if, if I or they had been had been prioritizing the ways of Jesus in my life or in their life, would that pain or would that regret exist? The answer probably is, well, no, it wouldn't. I mean, again, even if you're not a person of faith, if you just look at the teachings of Jesus, I'm talking Sermon on the Mount kind of stuff. I'm talking, you know, blessed are the meek and the peacemakers. And I'm talking love your enemy, you know, like love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. I'm talking about love your neighbor as yourself, love God with everything you have. I'm talking about treat others the way you want to be treated. I'm talking about forgive. I'm talking about, well, you've heard don't murder, but I'm saying don't even be angry at someone. You've heard don't, don't commit adultery, but don't even harbor lust in your heart. I'm saying if we had prioritized the ways of Jesus in our life or that person that hurt us had, would we have the regret and the pain that we do? And the answer is, well, no, we wouldn't. And that's how God has actually made the world to work. And so when we seek him and seek his kingdom first, things go better. Not always easier, but better. A new heart requires a prioritized heart. So again, looking back over the past year, where were my priorities? And moving into the new year, where will my priorities be? I prioritize the things of God in my life. And so there's a, a, a listening heart, there's a prioritized heart, and finally, a connected heart. A connected heart. Uh, the, the lady at the well, she, she goes into this conversation kind of about worship. You know, do we worship in the temple? Do we worship here? Um, and and she, Jesus has to correct this misunderstanding because she thought worship was about location, the location of her body. But she says, he wants her to see, no, no, it's about the location of of your spirit. There's something that happens on a spiritual level. That, that true worship is not about location or ritual or formulas or any of those things. And not that there's anything wrong with that stuff. Those things can be incredible tools. But true worship is about connection to God. It's about connection to our Heavenly Father. And it's a connection that comes through the person of Jesus. Worship is about connection. It's about having a connected heart. And so Jesus says, look, worship is about spirit and truth. And, and there's, there's these Christian claims that, 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 that when you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust him, when you lean the weight of your life on his life, death, and resurrection, I b- believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead, and I'm trusting in that with everything that I have, that salvation comes and, and relationship with God comes. But one of the things that happens is God's indwelling presence, his Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And so to worship God, I have to worship him in spirit. There's something that has to happen on that spiritual level and that spirit level kind of thing happens through the person, the work of Jesus. But then also I have to worship him in truth. That it can't just be like, Ooh, worshiping him in spirit, and it's kind of like touchy-feely, and it's very ethereal, and it's very ill-defined, and it's like, I'm a spiritual person, but I, I don't need to te- take the teachings of scripture or Jesus seriously. She's like, no, 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 you got to have both ends of the equation. You worship in spirit, but also truth. There's truth out there. 
There, there's, there's claims about who God is and what the world is like and, and what our hope is and what we are as humanity. Like there's all of these, these, these truth claims and they revolve and they're around and they're, uh, they, they're revealed. The truth about God is revealed in the person of Jesus. And so true worship happens in spirit and truth and, and the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the truth of the world and God and salvation comes through Jesus. And so the idea is this, that true worship comes through a connected heart and a connected heart happens through Jesus. It all centers around him. And all the other stuff that we associate with faith and religion, that, that's okay, but sometimes it can be a lot easier to chase after those things. Like I go to church and I, I give a little money uh, I go, I, and I, I serve a little time and I try to be good and I read my Bible and I do those things. But none of that is really the top focus. I mean, those things are good, those things are fine, but they have to flow out of a connected heart a relationship with Jesus, a, I know him and I'm following him and I'm connected to him. It all centers around him. And so Jesus kind of lays out these things. He goes through this conversation. By the end of the conversation, it seems like the woman is still, you know, kind of confused, right? And, and she's like, she's looking for a way out of this uncomfortable conversation. And so, so she says, like, I know the Messiah is coming and he's going to explain everything. But the, the response that Jesus gives is so revealing. He says, yeah, but, but I... The one that's speaking to you right now, the one that is staring at you, the one that you are having this conversation with, the one that, that is revealing all these things, I am the one you've been waiting for. I am that Messiah. I am the one you've been looking for. I am the fulfillment of these things. He's, he says, you know, that living water I was talking about, it comes from me. That eternal life that I was talking about is found in me. That, that true worship that comes through connection to the Father, it comes and is found, um, and, and it comes through me. That, that He tells this woman, what you've been looking for, essentially what she's, he's saying, what you've been looking for your entire life, the deepest desires and longing of your heart is found in me. Like even all of your misguided uh, um, attempts and, and your, uh, your longing and your desires and your existential crisis and your, your searching for meaning, all of that, even as misguided as it can be sometimes, it's ultimately pointing back to a desire and a thirst and a longing that nothing else seems to satisfy. But Jesus is staring at this woman saying, I am the satisfaction you've been looking for. I, I am, I, you will never thirst if I give you this living water, if I give you myself and you have this connection to me and you have a new heart. If you have a new heart, that's what he wanted to give her. He wanted to give her a new heart. And listen, that's what he wants to give us as well. He wants to give us a new heart. A new beginning starts with a new heart. Having a new beginning and a fresh start, all those things, it requires something more than just external factors and more than just my circumstances changing and more than just like, well, I'm going to have some healthy habits. Healthy habits are great, but ultimately a new beginning, it comes from an internal work. It comes from having a new heart, a heart that has been transformed. And we can't really do that on our own. A new heart only comes from Jesus. It only comes through faith in him and through relationship with him. That statement at the end is what that's all about. He says, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the one that can give you a new heart. I am the source of all you've been looking for, abundant life, eternal life, life to the fullest, hope and peace and contentment and joy. It's found in me. That new heart comes from relationship with Jesus and faith in him. And so as we, as we talk about a new beginning, as we move into a new year, my encouragement for you is to make that your focus. 
to lean in and to press into the ways of Jesus, to begin following him and chasing after him and saying, and beginning this simple prayer, God, create in me a clean heart. Do something in me. And there's a couple of different groups of people that that's going to apply to. For some of you, you've never made that decision and you're not even sure where you land on the whole Jesus thing. What I want to encourage you with is, is just maybe for the first time to give some serious consideration to the ways of Jesus. I'm not going to try to convince you of anything, but I want to encourage you to not take someone else's word for it or to not just blow it off or not to say, hey, I've heard that, but actually look at the person of Jesus and figure it out for yourself. And if you come to the realization that he really is who he claims to be, and make that decision to say, hey, I want a new heart. I want to follow you. For others of you, you know, faith has been a part of your life, but let's just be honest. It's been kind of cold. It's been kind of dead. Um, it, it's something that, that's not as passionate. You're not as passionate about it as you were at one point. And, and maybe that's because of the pandemic and just the, the disruption of life that happened, or maybe it was happening before that. And make your focus then like, hey, have a rekindled desire and passion for Jesus. Ask him to make that new heart in you fresh again. The final group is those of you who are like, well, you know, I'm actually doing pretty good with my faith. And, and you know, I'm following along Jesus with Jesus. Then your focus for this next year and these coming days and weeks and months, it's honestly, it's just a continued path of faithfulness. And the prayer of, of Jesus, continue to make in me a new heart. Because a new heart isn't something that happens once. It's something that happens daily. It's something that happens continually. It's that living water well within us that's bubbling up. It's spilling out. It's constantly being replenished. We want a new beginning. We're going to need a new heart. And a new heart is one that is listening to Jesus, that's prioritizing Jesus, and that is connected to Jesus.